SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. I think they only abducted droids, including an R2 unit who is a good friend of mine. And as the symphonic strains of the Cybertronic spree vanish into the ether, we welcome you to In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast, the episode where we look at every episode of the 1980s Star Wars animated oddity, Droids, the Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO. Uh, I'm your host, William Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt. Hello, hello, yes. We are near the end of our long journey, looking at every episode of Star Wars Droids, The Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO. I can't believe we're finally here at this final episode. Well, this is an anomaly among anomalies, because it's it's the final episode that aired, but as near as I can tell, it was the first episode made, and, and it kind of serves as a pilot for the series. I did not know that. Wow. Well, I mean, it, there, there's a couple of... I mean, I, I don't have any hard evidence to... to uh, to prove this, but this whole thing, this whole episode feels like a pilot to me. And the weird way it fits into the chronology of the series, I think, just speaks to it kind of being made in isolation of everything else. Yeah, it's um, it, it's odd. You know, we, we did mention when we started that final cycle of uh, droids episodes, where they get Mungo Baobab as their leader, they're kind of already in the midst with him uh, as their master. And the other two uh, arcs in the show were just, you, you learn how they have, you know, whoever it is as their master. And this one is a, a prequel that explains how they met up with the good old Mungo himself. Yeah, I mean, it begins with with R2-D2 and C-3PO on their way to be employed by Mungo Baobab. Uh, and this this episode also has uh, a special place in my heart uh, because this... I'm not sure if this is the first episode of Droids I ever saw, but it's the first episode of Droids I remember seeing. And the whole reason I saw it is that in the 90s, um, when the Sci-Fi Channel was just starting out, they experimented with an animation block made up of reruns of old science fiction cartoons. The Star Trek animated series, Fantastic Voyage animated series, Transformer reruns, but they also reran droids. And when they reran droids, this was the first episode that they aired in their rerun package. I recall this one from uh, I worked at Blockbuster Video and we had a videotape of this great heat ep- great heap uh, episode um, because you had some limited releases of, of Star Wars droids on VHS and they kind of re-released them after the special editions came into theaters. Um, 
For what it's worth, Anthony Daniels, the voice of C-3PO, feels this is the best episode of Droids. It's his favorite. And he, because he thinks the writer, Ben Burt, really captures uh, what it means to be a droid. And really, I, I think he likes this episode because it has a lot of C-3PO and, and more so than other episodes and, and sort of a, a bigger role to the story. Um, well, also, like, more so than any other episode of Droids, this kind of feels the most like Star Wars. And I know when this podcast began, I really talked up the animation in this series and then later revised that opinion as we went through. But this episode, and this is why I think this most likely was the first episode made and the pilot, the animation in this episode looks as good as I remember. It lives up to the, the hype that I kind of laid out in our very first episode. And and the Droids and Ewoks cartoon started at the same time, but the Ewoks cartoon got a second season, uh, and Droids did not, but it did get this special, which came out a full seven months after the, the last episode of the series proper. Yeah, which is... I, I wonder if this was just something that they... Uh... If, if I guess when it aired, I wonder if this it was just aired in an attempt to to save the series or to, to drum up new interest in it in the hopes that it would get a new season. Uh, although although at least according to uh, to uh, Wikipedia, and this is based on uh, this is based on something that was published in I think a star log, is that the Great Heap got the lowest ratings for any TV special in the 1986 season. And the lowest Ouch. ratings on NBC for that week. I'm it sorry, ABC. Help. Yeah, it doesn't help that it aired on June 7th, 1986. So that's like when summer vacation is just starting. Yeah, it's probably like that and 4th of July would be like the least likely time people <laughs> would be in front of their television to watch this. It just comes off as this episode just being unceremoniously dumped. Which is a shame, because I, I think I might agree with Anthony Daniels. This is the best one. Uh, I, I don't agree with that, but I think it does show a lot of creativity w with the story. And it's, it's not as derivative as uh, some of the other things we've seen. That's true. And I think the other thing I like about it, the titular Great Heap, I love that the main antagonist for this episode is another droid. Right, and we haven't really seen that yet. I mean, there's episodes where there is a droid side character that's kind of a bad guy, or maybe an annoying sidekick that makes bad jokes, but we have not seen... I mean, we've seen IG-88, we've seen Boba Fett's droid. droid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, oh yeah, that's a good point about Boba Fett's droid. Or he had IG-88 in uh, the one episode trying to get the scepter, right? Yeah, but like we we've never had we've never had a true antagonist with their own with their own motivation and personality. Uh, like the great the great heap is it. And um, although I don't know, you hear the name the great heap, and it it is kind of confusing because you're like, what is that? What does that even mean? It does sound very. It does sound like a the title of like a paperback novel from the seventies, though. <laughs> Well, you know, it starts. And the other funny thing is, it starts off like very casual because we don't get we don't get the regular droids intro to this episode. It just opens up on a starscape, and then we see droids, the adventures of R two D two and C three PO, uh, and then we get that neat shot of the eclipsing sun turning into the title, the Great Heap. Yeah, and and, and the title card is, you know, a, a unique thing designed just for this episode, and I kind of wish they did that in the main series. 
that would have been cool. Like, give it its own equivalent of the opening text crawl with those interesting, uh, with those inter- interesting, uh, like, with, yeah, with really interesting titles with an interesting font. You know, the, but like even the Great Heap title, it looks great. It's it's metallic. It's bloated. It's got patches of rust on it. It's got these rivets. It really is the perfect graphic for this story. Um, so the Great Keep is about the droids with uh, Mungo Baobab. Yeah, so yeah, it begins. They're a master. They're trying to find him. Yeah, well, they're they're on a they're on a cruiser or a transport being brought to uh, the planet by two. Uh, and this is one thing that's interesting that 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 like kind of goes in and out is that C three PO has been sold to Mungo Baobab. R two D two hasn't. Uh, which which is kind of, which is kind of interesting. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of C3PO talking up uh, R2D2 uh, in this and talking about oh well you know if you, if you're a proper droid maybe you can maybe you can find it. maybe Mungo will be your master as well um, and you know you, we get we get some some comical antics uh, on the cruiser but then we go to uh, the planet by two and this is one of the coolest shots and and a lot of the opening credits play over this where it's this huge pan of the farms on by two and the ruins on the mountaintop. And what's so cool about this is at the end of the pan, it pulls out. The pan has been reflected in the goggles or in the, the binoculars that um, Mungo has been using to survey this area. It is, it's is a it, great pullback. A very cinematic transition that you don't um, often see on, on the show. Yeah. And Mungo goes, you know, riding riding through the farmland where we see a bunch of the locals uh, growing their space corn. And one thing that, that stood out to me is that, like, all the natives look like they're straight out of Gandahar, which uh, some viewers may have seen as, uh, I believe, Light Years, which was, it's, an, it's a French, it was a French science fiction fully animated movie. But it came out the year after this episode aired, so that's got to be a coincidence. Uh, I, I think you're right, um, but coincidence or, or not, it's a neat thing to notice. Um, but we get our characters introduced. There, there's a you know there's a there's a, a kid and his burrowing uh, named Fidge, his burrowing animal Chub, and Mungo. We find out why Mungo's on this world. He's prospecting. Uh, he's found a mineral that can be used as fuel. They just refer to it as fuel ore. It doesn't have a cool name like Nergon 14. Um, but it looks like his plan is to work with the locals on this farming colony to mine it because he keeps talking about how it's going to make all of them very, very rich. But in the midst of their celebration, this huge gray, clearly imperial ship drops out of the sky, uh, and its mere presence starts triggering storms, hurricanes, water spouts, uh, and completely lays waste to the farmland. Yeah, that's a pretty good sequence, and it's big, and you're wondering, oh, oh, what's happening here? Well, I like I, I like that we get to see an imperial takeover of, of a planet, and it's pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. Like this does a good job of establishing the empire as a, as a threat. They're not they're not the bumbling stooges that we we would see in eighties cartoons in general, but specifically in droids. Yeah, that's true. They have their ruthless efficiency. 
And uh, then, then of course, we cut back to the Star Cruiser with R two D two and C three PO, and they get attacked by these. Uh, they get attacked by these droids that knock out uh, use sleeping gas to knock out the pilots uh, of the ship, uh, and. The only thing they st- and they steal all the droids from the ship and drag them down to the planet below, uh, and that's when it's it's quite it's kind of difficult to figure out what exactly what the time scale is. Although I think that this whole episode takes place over the course of a week because we do get some day night transitions, but also mm. when the knockout gas is knocking out the crew, Captain Cadge says, "Oh, it's it's you know sleeping gas that'll knock us out for a week." And then Cadge contacts Baobab at the end of the episode, having been in space the whole time. So I guess that was literally true in a whole week past. But um, the whole farming colony is a blasted wasteland. The crops have withered and died. And there's all these droids being used to mine the ore out of the planet. Um, R2-D2 and C-3PO are separated. Uh, and this is when we get the, we get the great heap. The side of the mining complex opens, and this massive droid with an awesome booming voice comes out and kind of lays out his villain bona fides and what's going to be happening in this episode. I love the way the great heap looks. It's big. It's imposing. It's something remind it reminds me a bit of the big face in the Wizard of Oz for some reason. You know what kind of does? It has a similar way of speaking. I, I like it's. I guess you know for Star Wars scale, it looks to be all about maybe about the size of the Jawa Sandcrawler. And when it comes out, it's so great because you know we see something big coming out of this complex, and we get these neat close ups of all these different moving mechanized parts before it finally pulls out. And it's neat. It's this. It's this weird, blocky yet curvy droid that kind of squats like a sphinx, but has these massive, crushing claws. Uh, these are ex- very expressive eyes. I love the eye animation for the Great Heap. And it looks very Star Wars. I mean, you could take a big robot and it would look too much like Transformers or something. But this just looks. I think maybe it's with the rounded shape. It's, it's with the the color scheme of the grays. And uh, kind of the yellow, the goldenrod in there, um, that those big kind of jowly robot chin. It's a, uh, it's just a great look and imposing. And, and you know, right away looking at it before he even speaks a word, that this uh, this droid is trouble. And I just like I just also love his imperious shouting. Like when when like he initially like he has it in for C three PO because he he has no need for a droid specializing in etiquette or, or protocol. And he's like, oh, but I tried to find my master Mungo. He's like Mungo Baobab, Mungo Baobab. Your master means nothing. See, and he like you know shows where Baobab has been imprisoned and is dying of thirst, which is pretty brutal. Um, the other thing is we get we get a really neat just villainous flourish for the Great Heap. Because when R2-D2 when gets separated, he's brought to a quote-unquote harem. And yeah, the Great Heap keeps a harem of R2 units, and it's like this glorious spa. Um, and we find out that the way the Great Heap is designed, he has this R2-shaped slot in his mouth, just like the one you would see on an X-Wing fighter. And the way he recharges himself is by draining the power cells of our two units this waiter droid pops an r2 unit into that slot and it's just grotesque the way he drains all the life out of it and it turns out uh droids operate on transformer rules when they die they become monochrome because whenever he spits out a spent r2 unit all the color is drained away it is worth noting that um when 
the uh, when the droids are, are are going around there and with the with that harem you mentioned, it reminded me a whole lot of that Clone Wars episode we saw with R two D two and C three PO, right? It absolutely does. We see droids going through the same kind of buffers. We see them taking yes. oil baths. Yeah. We see droid masseuses giving droid massages. And something that I love that they did, all of the all of the astromech droids in the in the harem, uh, they they all have a unique design. No one looks like they just took C three or R two D two and just like recolored it. They all look unique and all have little bits of their own personality. We also see a female R2 unit, which has this adorable egg shape and what appears to be high platform heels. Yeah, it's just very cute. I'm wondering, um, I don't really have many action figures, but I wouldn't mind one of the pink R2 units. I'm not. I don't think they ever made one, but I I would love like a collection of all these droids. They look great. There's a ball shaped one with one leg and TV antennas that kind of becomes R2's friend, you know, sort of prefiguring a BB-8. Um, there's also there's a couple of details I love in the harem. One, um, and this I can say this about the whole great heap. It doesn't use the same soundtrack as the rest of the droid series. I, I Nothing really sounds synthesized. It sounds more symphonic. It sounds more like what you would think of as Star Wars music. But in, when the, in the establishing shot of the, of the harem, there's like an actual alien pop song playing. Yeah, it, it's a good touch. And um, it, it's interesting you mentioned that about the music. Um, later on, when they re-released... Oh, uh, they they recut eight episodes of Droids into two sort of feature length presentations, uh, in around the time of Revenge of the Sith coming out on DVD. Um, they replaced all the original music with more like symphonic sounding music, huh. which is too bad because I like the electronic stuff in the Droid show. But the symphonic stuff here for the Great Heat, because this is a double length episode, this is a feature special. Um, I think it works for the sort of the grander scale of what they're going for. You have more unique designs in this episode than normal. You it, have, it, uh, it helps. Uh, I, I wish there was, I wish some of this music had transferred to other episodes as much as I like the, the music we got. Oh, you don't like the, the three minutes of the constant doo 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 doo. I mean, no, that I like one minute of that. I don't like three minutes of that. Yes. <laughs> but some other more source music. Yeah. Yeah. But some <laughs> other details in the harem that I really, really, really like, um, one of them is that there is there is a droid reading a play droid magazine, and we do see the centerfold, and it is just a diagram with a circuit board on it. <laughs> that's a nice joke. <laughs> that's a joke from Futurama. Futurama would make that joke twenty years later. <laughs> well, and and uh, that same sort of joke would make an appearance in the George Lucas produced film Howard the Duck. In which Howard is looking at a play duck. He has a play duck magazine centerfold or something. Oh, um, that movie does have a topless duck uh, in it. <sighs> Don't remind me, but yes. Um, I, so I, another was, thing, uh... another thing I love is there's a droid wearing a baseball cap. The resolution wasn't too sharp on the version I watched, but as near as I can tell, the cap just says "heap" on it. So we have a droid who's a fan of the Great Heap. I love that they don't know they're going to be eaten later. Why have you not bought the Great Heap merchandise? You can't be a fan of the Great Heap without a Great Heap ball cap. 
Man, they really should have got Brian Blessed to voice the Great Heap. Wouldn't that have been something? <laughs> well, if he was in a movie and also wasn't playing Boss Nass, he would make a great, great heap. Maybe the greatest heap. Although I do, I do like the. I do actually. Let me look this up. I do like the voice uh, that we got. Uh, let me just double check. Okay, so the voice, the voice of the Great Heap, and he's a voice that does uh, get used uh, on droids. Again, oh yeah, he's uh, Long John Baldry. That sounds like a made-up name, but okay. Well, he played Robotnik in the old Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons. Ooh, alright. But, like, I, I really like the energy he brings to the role. But, you know, he, he, he did various voices in other episodes of Droids. Yeah, definitely. Get... It's it's just such an imposing character. It it makes you wish that the the show proper would have had like a four episode arc about the Great Heap. You know, I could I I could see that because that that's the one thing the show really is missing is more droid antagonists, and they kill off the Great Heap. I mean, admittedly, well, we'll get to that when it happens. But like the Heap dies, uh, and. I'm sure. I mean, being a droid, I'm sure they could come up with an excuse to bring him back. But I would, I would love to see more droid antagonists like this. But get, oh, getting into more of the the Great Heap's evil plans. So this is now an Imperial mining mining colony, and there's the Great Heap has set up is the administrator of that colony, and he set up this big tower called the Rain Eater, uh, and or the Cloud Eater, and it's what's responsible for the drought. That to to facilitate the Heap's mining operations, he wants it absolutely dry, uh, and so that's what this machine does. It just sucks all the moisture out of the air. It's a giant evaporator, uh, essentially. Um, although I think it's more, and, and I'm guessing, you know, the idea is this is not a sustainable mining operation. They don't care if they just completely wreck the local ecosystem. But I suspect it's also because the Great Heap doesn't want to get wet. Uh, as we will learn, that is something of a weakness later on. Yeah, definitely. It's um, just to see the... I just really love the interactions between the droids in this episode. Like you don't get that much droid on droid focus throughout the main show. You get little bits here and there, but that it that the show is called Droids. This is the most droid heavy episode ever, and I kind of wish the show would have been more like this instead of having R two D two and C three PO as second bananas. Yeah, I mean, Mungo Baobab spends most of the episode in prison, and as a result, the droids have to do everything, and that helps the show. And I also I like. I like seeing R2-D2 and C-3PO try to get along on their own for a time. Like, it's it's neat seeing them take their own initiative. And it also, when they get reunited, it makes that that moment all the sweeter. Um, But uh, C-3PO, who gets put on the lube crew by the Great Heap in in a a scene that just made my wife crack up laughing. Um, You know, he, he, uh, Mungo directs him to a spring... Uh, he meets up with Fidge and Chubb, who have been using that spring to collect water for, for the people in their village. Um, and then Admiral Screed shows up, So we, who, is, who has thus far been my favorite villain. Um, and it's great to see him, to see Screed back. Although I guess in this case, it would be the first encounter between Admiral Screed and Mungo Baobab, because he wants to put Baobab in hibernation and take him directly to the Emperor. It is a shame we never get to see the Emperor 
in the droid series because I wonder how they would have drawn him. I wonder what he would have sounded like. Yeah, they talk they talk him up a lot. It would be neat to see whether it would have escalated uh, there. But things kind of thing thing you know things kind of go up uh, go go a bit nuts. Uh, uh, Fidge smuggles uh, uh, <clears throat> effectively a space hacksaw to Baobab, so Baobab's able to escape from his prison cell when uh, Screed comes to uh, Screed comes to. Uh, to, to drug him, and I love that little probe droid with the the injector needle that's going to put him into hibernation. Who also has the cotton, the alcohol laced cotton swab to sterilize the area before injection. It's a nice touch. Yeah, <laughs> but but there's a lot of running around at this. Uh, a lot of running around at this point. Um, R two D two uses his his awesome uh, evil can evil red white and blue space parachute to escape from the harem uh, after R two D two break or after C three PO breaks in and and reveals that uh, the great heap's going to drain all their power cells. There's a really neat sequence where it's Mungo R two D two and C three PO going through the uh, ore processor and scrap recycling part of the plant and like facing off against the heap in there like it's. It's very much like a video game, but it's a video game I very much want to play. Right. You get just all this uh, back and forth going on, and it it gets a little bit chaotic, but then, I don't know, it's like, with the setting, it's kind of, they're trapped, they're trying to escape, but the Great Heap is just so powerful, you don't get to go to a lot of different locations or planets or anything. This well, is all well, this very whole, focused story. Yeah, and like with it, like and in the whole that whole chase sequence, like there's really no sense of space, but the fact that you don't get a sense of space kind of makes it seem more more kinetic. It makes it seem like they're constantly moving through a ridiculously complex piece of machinery. Uh, but in the end, they all fall into this uh, this uh, waste container. Uh, and they see Admiral Screed passing by with their stormtroopers armed with those neat laser pikes. And uh, you know, uh, Screed lays out that since Baobab has escaped, they need to tighten security and make sure that only droids are allowed to get on the ore transport. And this leads to one of my favorite bits, because they go through the scrap heap and find all these droid chassis. Mungo disguises himself as a droid, and their plan is to sneak aboard the ore transport and reprogram its navigational system and use that to get off planet and use the lasers to destroy uh, the Cloud Eater. And what I absolutely love is that when Baobab is disguised as a droid, he does a bad C-3PO impersonation, and people buy it. Yeah, that, that's a very funny touch. And, uh... I, I love that awesome bit when, when Screed and the Stormtroopers show up, and to stall for time while R2-D2 is hacking the nav computer, he goes, What well, is about time you management type showed up? Do you have any idea what this sand does to my servos? And he just goes on this awesome <laughs> rant trying to out Anthony Daniels, Anthony Daniels. And they really put a lot of flourishes in the animation. He's doing all these gestures. He's doing all these camp poses. Uh, it, it works wonderfully until the chassis starts to pop off. And of course, when the chassis pops off, his cover is blown. Yeah, and so that's when we we get a, a, a thrilling fight scene. R two D two takes off in the ore transport, dumps the ore, and starts shooting at the imperial equipment and the uh, the the cloud uh, the cloud eater. Uh, the great heap comes out to start wrecking things, and it's pretty awesome just seeing the great heap tear through things with all of his mass and his giant crushing claws. Uh, but in the in the end, uh, the transport uh, the transport 
crashes into the rain eater there's or the sky eater there's this huge explosion and they really do make you think r2d2 died in that explosion i mean they linger on the fact that he's gone and we don't see a body um but the rain the sky eater explodes it starts raining and the rain starts shorting out and jamming the great heap and it really is grotesque the way we see the great heap flail and start shutting down and just scream in pain yeah, it's a nice elongated uh, death scene that that works better than sort of what we saw the way they finish off bad guys in some of the other story arcs. Well, I mean, they just like the bad guys in, other, in the other story arcs either sort of run away or get captured. Get ca- um, that's true. And, and I'm sure, you know, they can get away with it, one, because this is kind of a TV movie special. But two, like, it's a droid, so a I droid. guess maybe, like, the censors know, well, he can't really die. He's not technically alive. He's a complex machine. But, like, you you do, I, I can't say you feel for him, but his death has impact, and he clearly suffers before he has his final shutdown. But right. after but- that turns out r2d2 did manage to eject at the last minute and used his parachute that was laid in earlier to survive however at this point the great heap had earlier drained the power cells of the of the pink egg-shaped r2 unit um and it's actually kind of a neat scene where r2d2 hooks himself up to her and all the other r2 units hook themselves up to him in this big chain of r2 units and they combine they, they combine their abilities to bring uh to bring the uh the female r2 unit back to life it's a good sequence we could have used more more stuff like that in 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 the series of um good droids working together with all their different abilities but it, but it is kind of neat. It's one it's one of those things where normally when a dead character comes back to life, I'm pretty dead set against it. But I like that character enough, and just seeing the whole astromech droid community kind of come together to make it happen, and they are built for maintenance. It doesn't feel cheap to me. Right. It and is, then we kind um, of move in. Oh, go on. Oh well, we move, but now we sort of move into an epilogue. So the rains are back, the crops are regrowing, and Mungo. Th- there's this cryptic line where Mungo says, "Well, your people should have no trouble uh, mining the ore now, thanks to all this help the Imperials left behind." And it's unclear whether or not he's talking about all the mining equipment they've left behind, or whether he's talking about the stormtroopers that they've captured. Because if they're talking about the stormtroopers, it sounds like they're going to enslave them, um, <laughs> and that speaks to something. I almost want to do a whole episode about, although we know we don't have time, and it's something that really, really, really bothers me about Star Wars across the board, and that's that we see less slavery in Star Wars when the Empire is in charge. Uh, so so that, that that is something that has been stuck in my Star Wars craw for quite some time. Do you, do you have any uh, thoughts on that subject? It, I almost think that with with the Republic, maybe they let planets take care of slavery on a planet by planet basis, where the planets decided it was not a a decree to to ban slavery. Um, it is strange, though, and like you know, you had such a big deal in like the Phantom Menace of Anakin being a slave. It's just it's just something. It's just something that that really, really bothers me, at least as far as like what we see of Star Wars in the movies, that that an unforgivable institution like slavery 
does not seem to exist under the Empire. I mean, there are plenty of comics and novels and whatnot that will that will. Say, oh no, they they ens- they enslaved the Wookies of Keshek. Well, that's not in the movies. Uh, and it's it's just it's it's something that that I just that I I can't get over. And so, like when the Republic collapses in the prequel trilogy, it keeps me from feeling too bad about it because the Republic allowed slavery to exist. Hmm. Interesting. So, like it, it, right. it, put, it uh, creates it, a, a situation where they're just was, was good. no good guys. I think I think that got too garbled. We can keep going. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the Great Heap. I, I think was it was a pretty good episode. I really like it more for the character designs than uh, than the the story. Um, it, it did show a lot of creativity, um, and it's a. Not a bad note to end the show on, although ending uh, a show on a, on a prequel episode is kind of weird. You know, it feels like a not great finish in, in that regard, narratively. It's yeah, it it, it is strange to, to trying to square it like with with the chronology, but it, it like this is this is the best of what droids was and what droids could have been. If the show had continued and they did more things like this, that would have been amazing. Now, I think the only thing about this, the Great Heap, that doesn't quite work is that it. Do, I don't think it really needs to be an hour long. I bet. I bet you could trim this down to a real mean, action-packed half hour, and the narrative would still work. I mean, all all the. Uh, all the extra time really does is give us more time for some beautiful animation, which which is beautiful, but doesn't necessarily move move the story along. Yeah, very. Uh, it does feel sluggish at times, and I, I would say that's a problem with the Droid series overall. The, the pacing isn't the best. I mean, you do have to keep in mind it was the 1980s, where the expectation of what a, a, a Saturday morning cartoon uh, would be uh, is different than what you would see today. Um Oh, and actually, speaking of which, uh, this also has, I don't know if you caught this, this has a pretty big dig on Transformers. I did not catch it. Why don't you point it out to our listeners? Yeah, so in the final in the final like battle when R2-D2 has stolen the mining transport and is using the turbo lasers to assault uh, the Great Heap's complex, uh, the Great Heap... Um, calls that like the great heap calls in reinforcements and he's like you know bring 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 out the convertacrons or something it's it's a very transformery names like convertacrons or tra- or converted droids or mata droids or something like that and these two droids come out and they transform and they keep transforming and combining in different ways different very dumb ways which only infuriates the heap until they eventually turn into Effectively, a big old hover bike with a big old laser gun on top. Like this is clearly a dig at Transformers and, and to a lesser extent, GoBots. To the point where the blue one kind of looks like Psykill from GoBots and has his wheels in the same place. I'm sure that's no accident. It's uh, a good catch. Yeah, because remember Transformers got going in uh, in 1984. So I mean, I think this is Droid saying. We're the better robot show. We're the real robot show. You can forget that other robot show. The irony being the robot show was the one that was going to run for goddamn ever and get spin-offs in movies and comics and a huge 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 toy line. Yeah, and get get what? Like a 
six move six live action movies over the space <laughs> of ten years about. Oh yeah, well, half of which uh, we covered on sequel cast. That, that's true. Yeah. Um, hmm. Hmm. All right. But yeah, so. I mean this this is this is great. This is a great way to end the series, and I I wish this had just been the prelude to better things down the line. But unfortunately, this is the end, my friends. But next week we'll be doing an episode, kind of overall looking at the series, having watched it, and sort of give uh, some kind of overall impressions. Some episodes we liked, some we didn't, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, and I hope we will talk a little bit about what could have been if this uh, this series had continued. That's right. In an alternate universe, had droids been a smash hit, what season two would have brought us <laughs> something indeed. So now it is time for our segment, Droid Eye for the Jedi, where we concoct our own fan theories and try to figure out which character is the secret Jedi Master in hiding. Uh, Matt, do you have a theory? I, I think it's the Great Heap, and I think the Great Heap is a Sith. He has such really? big powers for a droid, and um, the way he can suck the life out of things is kind of like some of the Sith abilities you see in some of the video games. Almost the vampiric nature of how they crave power and they want unlimited power and all these things. So I think I think the Great Keep gets that boost in his powers from his dark Sith Lord energy. Huh, Interesting. That, or maybe in the middle of the Great Keep, it's controlled by a tiny Dark Lord Sith human. <laughs> There's like a little evil Yoda in there. Pay no, uh, uh, attention, yeah. pay none to the man behind the curtain, you will. Did you ever see the episode of Clone Wars where Yoda tries to find like the origin of the Force and he fights an evil version of himself? Yes, yes I did. That was one of the uh, Lost missions, wasn't it? Uh-huh, very scary looking Yoda with red eyes. Yes. The teeth? Ugh. Okay. Uh, what about you? Who do you think is the secret um, Jedi? So I, I'm going to do something that I that I didn't think I was ever going to do. It's R2-D2. Um, oh, okay. R2-D2. So aside from having clearly like highly specialized acrobatic abilities, uh, an endless supply of gadgets. I mean, this is the most high-tech we, we would ever see R2-D2. R2-D2 has, an, has a lightsaber built into him. Uh, when they're when they're in the mining area trying to escape from the great heap, R two D two pulls out an actual lightsaber and cuts a hole in a wall. And we know it's a lightsaber because it's it looks like one and it makes the noise, though it has a ridiculously long blade. I, I wonder if um, how you do a midichlorian test on a, a droid. Well, actually, they probably have a display screen that just tells you. That's like it's right next to the thing that shows you how much charge they have in their power cells. Very good. <laughs> and now it's time for Expanded Universe, where we talk about a non-movie piece of Star Wars media we've been enjoying over the past week. Yeah, um, I've been playing an old Star Wars uh, computer game. Sweet. And uh, I've been talking about the games pretty much the whole time on this segment um, in the show. And, and this is one, it's a, it's a rare spinoff of um, Rogue Squadron. Uh, this came out for N64 and Windows. It's called Star Wars Episode One: Battle for Naboo. Huh. And this isn't like, think of X-Wing, except it's more arcadey. The controls are a bit simpler. The missions have you 
you're typically you're flying over part of a planet and, and shooting things, but you don't have to deal with as many mechanics as balancing your shield and laser and, and missile fire. Um, it's, I think it's pretty good, uh, although, uh, and it follows, you know, it's adjacent to the plot of the Phantom Menace, and it ends with kind of that climactic battle where the, the Trade Federation droid ship is, uh, under, is being assaulted on. Uh, but I would say, like, one thing that's not really in its favor is you, you look and... I don't know if it's the fault of, of the designs or, or what it is, but episode one, The Phantom Menace, to me, is not as captivating as some of the other Star Wars movies. So I don't feel as, as sucked into the premise. But, I mean, I that being said, I've worked with younger people, and Phantom Menace is their favorite. Well, I think a lot of it may have to do with, for for some people, it's it's the first Star Wars movie they ever saw or the yes. first Star Wars movie they ever saw in theaters. And that that can leave a really big impression on you. Uh, absolutely. The first time it, it is a huge uh, thing. Uh, also, I think one of the best explanations I, I heard about Phantom Menace, and maybe I should revisit it, is uh, why Phantom Menace? Well, it is, uh, out of the prequels, it's the one that has the most humans in it. You, it huh. And I thought, that's a great point. Like, to where it's not cartoon character. it's not, you know, cartoon aliens fighting cartoon robots or whatever. Um you have yeah, even a lot the of the droids are people in suits. involved in this in this battle. What? Well, well, yeah, like generated, you, but yeah, the yeah, like the, it's it's the it's a lot paper. of practical effects. Uh, right, yeah. With episode one, there is a lot more practical effects than people think as well. So, um, you know, I think I, even I really the Gungans, should... I think, are motion captured, or or, or put, yes. their heads are put on real people. Um. Yep, that's true, and I think you know. If you're a student of, of sound design, that pod race scene, if you can watch it with a really good set of headphones or a good speaker system, like that still, I don't know about visually, but, but the audio on it still holds up really well today. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I found out something about that pod racing scene uh, earlier that uh, earlier this week that I did not know. What? Um, well, so the actual model they built of the pod racing arena um, to populate it they just took Q-tips and dyed the ends different colors and, like, slotted the Q-tips where people would be seating, but it was all hollow underneath so they could blow air through it and it would make them wiggle like a really excited crowd. Uh, I, I did know that, and it's... um you, you can't tell it looking at the movie, but I think it's a pretty uh, interesting choice. Unlike the somewhat annoying Easter egg of in one of the Galactic Senate scenes, you see the E.T. aliens... Oh yeah, there's the the trilogy of ETs just kind of clapping and and getting excited for a vote of no confidence, right? <laughs> ET no confidence. <laughs> ET vote in support of Senator Palpatine. ET no like Chancellor Valorum. So so I gotta so. So, assuming we're supposed to take that literally, do you think Phantom Menace takes place before or after the events in E.T., the extraterrestrial? Well, it's in a galaxy far, far away. And a long time ago. And a long time ago, but I think perhaps that that, that could be E.T.'s great-great-great-grandpappy. <laughs> and maybe it's their homeworld subjugation by the Empire 
is why um, they have to flee in a UFO. So you think they came, they came to Earth looking for a new place to live? That's right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I've, got a, I've also got a game that I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Which I had a chance to, uh, to play uh, last week. So uh, I picked up... Uh, it's, a, it's a game. It's published by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, the design is by uh, Corey uh, Konechka and I, uh, Tony Fashi. Uh, it is Star Wars Outer Rim. It's a new Star Wars board game. Hmm. And essentially, it's it's pretty fun. But the the short of it is, uh, you you take on the role of a Star Wars scoundrel, and you want to build, you want to have the best rep in the outer rim. So you set a goal for how much rep is the winning amount. Usually, in a, uh, the default it's ten ten reputation, but they recommend eight for your first game. But you can go up to fifteen uh, if you want a really long game. But you travel around the outer rim, avoiding patrols and doing missions and building up your rep. And damned if it doesn't feel like it. It kind of feels like what you might want in a, in a movie about Han Solo and uh, and Lando Calrissian, who are playable in the game. How long does the game take to complete? Uh, about uh, about two to three hours. Okay. And it's also uh, just it's also just gorgeous because the board itself is just one giant curve that represents the outer rim of the Star Wars galaxy. Hmm. It's it's a really unique board design. But the other nice thing about it about it being this giant curve is you can put all your cards in the middle, and it makes it really easy to keep that stuff accessible. You don't have to pass any decks around. Is. Uh, is it going to get expansions? You think, or um, no expansion has been announced, but I suspect there will be, if only because the, the game, the board is modular, so there's plenty of room to grow the board. Um, it has plenty of room for expansion. It's set during, uh, it's set like during the New Hope era. Although it does have, uh, it does have uh, prequel characters. Jin Erso is one of the playable characters uh, in the game, um, but. I think the biggest tell that there are that they are planning on expansions is there's one deck called the data file deck and the data file deck it has like mission prompts but it also has like like everything in the game there's some version of it in the data file deck the, all the data file cards are numbered and they go up to 94 I believe except there's like no numbered cards between like 20 and 50 Hmm. So Odd. there's clearly room in the deck for to insert uh, to insert additional cards. Right. Uh, how weird. Okay. Um, and I think the, yeah. the coolest thing about it is you can double cross people in the game. Double crossing is a mechanic. That is neat. You know, I I played a board game with that mechanic uh, based on Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah. And the, the gimmick, and it's based on the newer series, not the original one from the 70s, but um, the gimmick is one of the players is a Cylon. And uh, you, you go on missions and, and things. It's a, it's a really good game, but the rule set is pretty damn complicated. But yeah, I think and you I might know... enjoy it if you... 
Well, I know there, there's several expansions for that, and I don't know if this is an mm-hmm. official rule introduced in one of the expansions or just a popular homebrew rule that plays a lot of conventions, but a, a lot of like convention games of the Battlestar Galactica board game, they have it set up so that there is a possibility that there are no Cylons or that everyone's a Cylon. Um, I That's not in the base game, from what I understand, but... That's an interesting spin you could do with it, certainly, because, um, yeah, no, I was just really impressed. I thought because it was, was a media tie-in board game, I thought it would be bad, and, uh, and it's rather expensive for what it is, but uh, it's it's cool to see. Um, do you know, have you heard about the, the two new Star Wars games uh, coming out? Uh, mm, are they video games? If they're video, no, video games, games, I video have games, not yep. heard. Uh... Yeah, so one is... Uh, the one's not going to come out till the first quarter of 2020, but it's called Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Huh. And you might be wondering, a long time ago, I think that one of the first uh, Lego movie games was Lego Star Wars, right? Yeah, which was actually four. pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, it I, at first I thought, oh, they're going to make modern ports of those games and then add new stuff for the new movies, but that's not what they're doing. They're, they're making it more open world where you go to the different planets. And mm-hmm. although you can do missions to be like the movies, you can also do a lot more exploration. Um, which I think is a unique way to do it. And uh, over 200 playable characters. Dang. So it does not cover, however, the, the spin-off movies, uh, Rogue One or the Han Solo um, movie. Well, there aren't any Skywalkers in those, so I can understand that. That's true. It does say Skywalker Saga. Um, so it should be interesting. The other uh, one is... Uh, let me look up the title. Crap, crap, crap. It is a single-player Star Wars game that's not supposed to have any DLC, which has not happened in a long, long time. Yeah. I hope they stick to that, too. Uh, me too. It's EA, which hasn't done a whole lot with the as much with the Star Wars license as you might think. But this is a... Uh, would appear, I guess, unless it does well, it appears to be a one-off game called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, um, and it takes place during Episode Three, uh, and all that jazz. Uh, one thing that's kind of disappointing is the main character is a is a human, and I think they could have had a cool opportunity to make it be an alien. Hmm. But um, it's yeah, al- playable aliens you know, are on very underrepresented in Star Wars. Uh, yeah, in the video games. I mean, in, in uh, the, you know, some of those Lego games you can play as aliens, but that that's not a, a huge, you know, that doesn't really count, I, I don't think. And uh, in, what was it? I, I think in Jedi Knight 3 Jedi Academy or something, you can customize your character and you could make him an alien. And in the MMOs, of course, you could be aliens. But you're oh, right, yeah. they should let you play as different races uh, in the games. Oh man, how how awesome would it be to have a game where you're just a Wookiee? Doing uh, Wookie funny stuff. you mentioned that. That was a Star Wars game that never got made. In uh, the original pitch for a, a Star Wars game for like a, during the Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3 era, a developers pitched because um, I guess George Lucas has to approve kind of the big titles, or at that time he had some input. Uh, it would, they described it as kind of like Grand Theft Auto with a Wookiee. 
And George Lucas soundly rejected it and said no. And instead, they developed the Force Unleashed. Dang, though, that an open world game where you're a Wookiee jacking freighters, that would be awesome. Wouldn't it? Maybe, and maybe you would have some uh, mechanics kind of like Wing Commander Privateer in there. You do, <laughs> you know, trading things back and forth between space stations and planets and hubs. Have some uh, Wookiees plus, plus uh, economic disparity is, is, could be something interesting. Yeah, I mean... That there's been so many canceled Star Wars games that that would be that could be a book in itself. Oh, that that would be that would be something I would love to read. Just as I'm fascinated with movies that never got made, I'm fascinated by games that never got made. I still I would still love to know exactly what thirteen thirteen was going to be if it had ever reached completion. Uh, yeah, uh, the one that I think is, it's not a Star Wars game, but the one I always wondered about that never. Uh, got made but was in development was a Nintendo game based on the R-rated gory movie Hellraiser. <laughs> and it would have been a first-person shooter on a Nintendo, which would have been very hard to do. <laughs> up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, select, star. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you did have R-rated movies get games on Nintendo like Die Hard or RoboCop, but they were pretty unusual. But Hellraiser is such a weird beast that. Um, but but really, like a first-person shooter for an eight-bit system. Yeah. Very. It wow. would have been very ambitious. Um. And and the company paid for the license for Hellraiser, which wasn't cheap, but they just I, weren't I, able I, to pull it off. Yeah, I mean, at the time, it was one of the hottest properties in horror, so I can totally believe that cost them a lot. Definitely. Uh, all right, so, um, yeah, next week will be the last episode of this uh, In Trouble Again, a Star Wars Droids podcast, as we give kind of an overview uh, of the series, what we think are the high and the low points, and talk about, you know, what if there is a season two? What, what sort of fun things could they have done? And I'm sure, and I'm sure we'll have some other... Uh, expanded universe stuff to talk about. I don't see why these segments have to end uh have to end now. I I this it's going to be a fun uh bittersweet melancholy episode. I cannot wait. Yeah, so on that note, uh follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. Uh like our Facebook page. Track down the music of the Cybertronic Spree who perform our theme song. And, uh, yeah, uh, look forward to the show uh, next week. You can also check get the episodes <laughs> from SequelCast2.com, and you can listen to us on Stitcher. Oh, listen to us on Stitcher. So, for In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast, this is Matt. <laughs> this is Thrasher. Same. I've been waiting for you management types to show up for ages. Do you have any idea what oil grit does to my servos? <laughs> Lube crew.